Alright, the first official episode of the MJ Podcast, I'm Max, this is uh, Jared. Jared, would you like to introduce yourself? We're cousins, and we have very different opinions. (laughs) Uh, A fair take, yeah. Um, This podcast will be a mainly sports podcast, a little bit of music entertainment, and a lot of hot takes actually too. From one of us. I, I would argue both, but okay. Um, I don't like the word take. I prefer opinion. Okay. So let's jump right in. The first topic is, Jared. Jared, the first topic is? I'm letting you introduce it. <laughs> the best Maroon 5 song. If there are any. <laughs> I mean, I think you gotta go Sunday morning is this love uh, Hard as you breathe is great Sun, all of those are, are phenomenal Jared? Basically, for me I'll go with anything Off of Songs About Jane But other than that It's really tough to get me to say I like any other Maroon 5 songs I think Songs About Jane Has actually some great tunes uh even not even their singles are fine but you know i like a lot of their other songs from that album that are not even singles yeah uh however after that album it's really hard to find any good songs from them because they kind of fell off the map pretty Uh, heavily i i I wouldn't say they fell off the map i think they changed completely because the first album while it was obviously pop, it was also more of an alternative rock, a, a, pump, a pop rock. It wasn't just generic pop stuff that you hear today, which is what they turned into. Which is what they turned into. I mean, Walk Home Without You, is a, is a, I think it's a good album. I don't think it's amazing. And then after that, it gets really bleak. I mean, their new album was just absolute garbage. Yeah, I couldn't tell you any of their other... Really, after... It won't be soon before long... I think I kind of decided I wasn't going to really pay much attention. Yeah. Uh, I, I can definitely see where you're coming from. Some of the early stuff back in the late 90s was their original band name, Kara's Flowers. It's pretty good, actually. I've never listened to any of that stuff. It's not... It's like, it's, I think I would argue the tune of that song, those songs are better than songs of the Jane, actually. But let's jump right into the actual podcast. Sports-wise, Jared, what teams do you root for? I am a uh, originally from New York State, so my teams are mostly New York teams. Uh, grew up rooting for the New York Mets, New York Rangers, and New York Jets. Uh, I'm still a Rangers fan, but I've kind of toned it down. Uh, as I work for an affiliate of the Washington Capitals now, so um, I, I can't be as open. Not that not that anyone's restricting me, but I try to uh, restrict my fandom a little bit with the Rangers. Uh, I still obviously want them to do well, but I'm also you know definitely uh, I, I've gotten to know some people within the Capitals organization, so uh, you could kind of say that um, I don't know if I'd call myself a Capitals fan, but I'm a I'm a capital supporter because of what I do on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and I don't have an NBA team uh, because I, I, when I was a kid, I kind of bounced around between the Knicks and the Nets and never really, uh, never really clung to one team. Uh, and I don't follow soccer, so I don't have a soccer team either. Okay, so I'm somewhat like Jared, except I do follow soccer, and my football team is not a New York team. It's the Miami Dolphins. Uh, they're awful. Um, hockey-wise, I'm an Islanders fan. Basketball-wise, I'm a Knicks fan, but the Knicks I've accepted will never do that in my lifetime. And baseball-wise, I'm a Mets fan, and I guess soccer-wise, I'm Real Madrid. But I'm probably the big. I'm probably more of a fan of basketball. Baseball, uh, hockey, and soccer. The way I'm actually football because how how bad the Dolphins are. So yeah. Uh, now two of, now both are teams making pretty big front office moves. I think both phenomenal moves. 
David Quinn being the coach of the, of the Rangers and Lou Amarillo being the new uh, GM. Um, now, Jared, you work in the Boston area. So would you say hockey in Boston is almost like football in Texas? No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, I think in Boston, it's a pro sports town. Um, and so basically whatever pro sports team is best or is in season, that's what people are really into. I mean, the Patriots are the biggest thing there right now because of how good they've been for a long time. The Red Sox are number two, but pretty close to number one, just behind the Patriots as everyone in New England's a Red Sox fan. Uh, the Celtics are also huge. The Bruins are huge, but I think, you know, because of the success of the Patriots, football is huge in, in Boston and New England. So I, I think the difference in Texas is that actually the NFL is not as big of a deal. Whereas in Boston, Boston's a big, Boston's a big pro sports town. But really, outside of pro sports, there's a little bit written about some high school sports here and there. Yeah, Boston College is sometimes relevant. You've got a couple other colleges that kind of are a blip on the radar, but it's basically it's a sports town that's comprised of pro. You've got colleges, you've got high school football, which is huge. So football is the number one sport in Texas, but yeah, you could argue that the football that's in high school and college is bigger than the professional level where you've got the Cowboys who are huge and you've got the Texans, but I would argue those other colleges, those other high schools have a more rabid follow. The Cowboys kind of unite everybody, but it's not the same as in Boston where it's just all pro sports most of the time. Yeah. The next topic is predict. Oh, wait, let's, let's finish up the, the reaction to our front office moves. So I said, I feel great about it. I mean, Garth Snowd came in. Look, he drafted some good players. He got a good team, but it all fell apart, which which does suck. And I do not hate Garth Snowd like a lot, of, like a lot of Islander fans. I think it's it's not his fault, to be honest. I mean, he still drafted to there as soon as he became a franchise star for us. Hopefully, hopefully he resigns. I mean, resigns. And so, yeah, I, I like the move a lot. I do understand from recently that Amarillo got a lot of credit for the Maple Leafs when he didn't really do anything. I mean, he drafted Austin Matthews, but Austin Matthews looks to be the feature of the NFL, NHL right now. I got to disagree with you on your assessment of Garth Snow. I think he's done a pretty poor job, and I think it is his fault. Uh, I think his development of prospects has been pretty poor. Uh, his trades have not really worked out very well. I guess his, you can see that. his free agent signings are not very Josh good. I don't know where he is right now. I mean, yeah, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a pretty fair opinion, I guess. I mean, the uh, Islanders have not time, and yeah. the way you get better is through your drafting. And you look at some of the teams that have gone from being bad teams to being good teams in a short amount of time, and or even a team like Winnipeg where they've waited, they've been patient, they've taken a long time. Uh, and now they're really good. For the Islanders, I, I mean, other than Matthew Barzell, they don't have a first-round pick that you can really hang your hat on uh, since, you, since Tavares, really. Uh, I, I think, you know, Brock Nelson was a first-round pick. He's, yeah. he, he, I mean, he's been – Calvin DeHaan was in the same year as Tavares. So that year in 2009 – was a pretty good year. They also got Anders Nielsen that year um, and Anders Lee. So there there were some good picks that draft. But really since then, Max, I've got to tell you, I don't know if they have anyone who they've drafted that's really come on the scene until Barzell this year. And he was drafted in 2015. I will say their first-round pick last year, Kiefer Bellows, was a a good pick. I've seen him play a lot. And I think he's very young, obviously, but he has the chance to be a good player. But you're looking at a span of about seven years with about three good draft picks. You can't be a good team. You can't win when that's your situation. 
and you, they're not de- they're not developing and building players. They're not they're not a development organization. They've never been known for that, and that's a huge problem. And that's how you get good in the NHL. In in NHL now in 2018, your young players have to be a huge part of where, of what your team is. You look at some of these yeah. some of these top teams. They're all comprised of players who are within the you know. Tw- to 26, 27 age range. If you don't hit on those guys in those ages, you're going to have a hard time competing, and that's exactly what the Islanders have done. They have completely messed up the draft, and they've made bad trades, bad signings in the free agency. And look, I think the, the move to get Lou Lamorello is a great thing. I think they needed some change. But that doesn't that doesn't change the fact that Lou can do whatever he wants, but your their drafting and their talent evaluation has to be better. Uh, I also want to point out you you mentioned how the, the best pick, obviously, other than Tavares was Barzell. I saw some people point out that Josh Bailey was a good, was a great pick, and I think he's, I think he's a really solid pick. But you also got to remember the Islanders drafted Josh Bailey in front of Eric Carlson. Yeah, and again, that was in 2008, though, Max. You know what I'm talking about? Like I know, that, it was still under Garth Snow's tenure. I agree, but that's 10 years ago. This is a what have you done for me lately. Like, I, I can – that's, that's fine that Garth Snow in 2006 drafted Kyle Ocposo and he's still in the league. But, I mean, you legitimately, since, since Jonathan Tavares, have about one player that you can really hang your hat on. And that's not acceptable. And, and their coaching situation has been a mess. Their scouting situation has been a mess. Their draft has been a mess. Their trades have not been very good with players also, that they brought into the organization. And that is why they find themselves in a state of just absolute misery right now. Especially, I want to point out, you, you point out the, about the player part, there's a special section of that dedicated to how bad the Islanders have been with goalies. I mean, the D. Pietro, I think D. Pietro was signed under Garth Snow's, Garth Snow's first, second year, I believe. And obviously that, look, that's not, I don't, I don't really know what I talk about D. Pietro signing, but that was one of the worst contracts in, like, sports history. You could probably make an argument for that. Uh, but, like, the best goalie I've seen in the island is probably Jaros, uh, I can't say his first name, Halak, though. Yaroslav Halak, and yeah. again, he's the guy who's in the AHL this year. Exactly. Uh, a little, actually, I want to talk to you about one thing. In the AHL, there's this player who, who was supposed to have like a really promising career, who apparently can't play because he's addicted to video games. Did you hear about this? I did not hear about this. So like he wanted like that game Fortnite. Apparently, he got addicted to it, and it was I think it might have been the Red Wings. He's playing with their farm system in the AHL. But it's pretty weird. I, th- I find it pretty interesting. Um, but let's get right back. Let's get right back into it. Predictions for the Capitals' night system, night night finals. Uh, you you skipped the Rangers' moves. Oh yeah. Okay, so I said it was. A, I thought I thought it was actually a really good move. Um, now this is actually more of a subject for you to discuss over here. Obviously, a living in Boston for four four years in. I don't know if he's coaching during when you were there, but I think this is a point where you should jump in and take it. I think um, – so, first of all, when I lived in Boston, uh, David Quinn had not been hired yet by BU. He was hired the year after I left, um, but I was there to, to see his predecessor, Jack Parker, and became pretty familiar with the system and the recruiting that Jack Parker had going um, Boston University in the last 10 years has been about as successful as any other college team in college hockey. They won the national championship in 2009, but similar to the Islanders in the draft, haven't done anything since then as far as the national tournament goes. Now they've been to the national tournament, and the biggest thing for, from David Quinn's perspective is his recruiting ability. Quinn is a guy who's known for having recruited some of the best prospects to play for BU over the past five years while he's been there. And the Rangers look at him as a younger, not necessarily younger, he's over 50, but a guy who can bring a little bit of a fresh perspective 
and someone who can relate to the younger players that the Rangers have. The Rangers are a team that has a ton of college players. David Quinn was an assistant coach at Boston University when Kevin Shattenkirk was there. So he's coached Kevin Shattenkirk before. He's coached a few of the other different players in world championships. Uh, he was actually supposed to be coaching the world junior championships this year for the U.S., uh, but that's not going to happen anymore because the NHL season is going to be going on. But had he still been at BU, he was going to be the U.S. head coach and actually take a leave of absence from BU during the winter break to actually coach the U.S. overseas in that World Junior Championship. Um, but I, I think the move is interesting. I'm not a huge fan of the move, not because I don't think that he's going to be well-liked. I think he's going to be able to work with the players and, and he's going to be able but my problem is the more in-game aspect of his coaching, which, as I've seen watching Boston University, I don't know that he's really, with all of the talent that BU has had on their teams over the past couple of years, and if you're not familiar, you can basically go down the list. Every single year, BU has had first-round picks on their team. Going back from Jack Eichel, now the year they had Jack Eichel, he only played one year in college. Eichel made it to the national championship game, and BU lost. Uh, they blew the lead the national championship game. They lost to Providence. But they obviously did – they were within, you know, the national championship. So I'm not going to harp on that year. But they also had Jack Eichel as one of the best players to ever play in college hockey. So they, he's had the recruiting, like I said. You know, you can go look at guys like Charlie McAvoy. This year they had Jordan Greenway. Um, there's been Clayton Keller played for, for BU. Alex there's been – yeah, Jason was not a, a, a headlining type guy. He was a you know a good draft pick for Dallas when he was there, and, and he made a made a difference. He was one of their impact players. But I'm talking about first round elite talent. Uh, I don't think that they've Charlie really. McAvoy. Yeah, I said Charlie McAvoy. Oh, you know, that's that's a that's a. Well, Jack Eichel and Clayton Keller is who's you know now with the Coyotes, and they've yeah. had Kachuk. Um, so they've had a lot of great players come through, but no titles. And one bean pot, one national championship appearance when they had Eichel, which, like I said, that year they were the best. I mean, they were unbelievable that year. And you got to give David Quinn credit for recruiting those guys. Absolutely. But, while look, the Rangers have never had a problem recruiting players to play there. They recruited Kevin Hayes. They recruited Jimmy Vesey. They've recruited players for years. They've never really had a problem with that. The problem is when they get all the talent, how do they win? And if David Quinn yeah. continues to recruit good talent, that's going to be a good part of the battle. But you've got to figure out how to, a way to win. And it's so hard to win in the NHL. It is so the, – the, the difference between these top teams is so small. And any little thing can happen and it can change so many things. So right now, while I understand what the Rangers are trying to do, I don't really have a ton of confidence in David Quinn to actually win a Stanley Cup. Now, the thing for the Rangers is they're not really in position to contend for a Stanley Cup. So maybe David Quinn's there for you know three years, four years. He signed a five-year contract. Maybe he's there for you know a few years to oversee this rebuild. But when the rebuild is complete, I don't know that he's going to be the one to bring it home. And, and you know what? I'd love for him to prove me wrong because he does have that five-year contract. The Rangers are making a significant investment in him as a coach. But I don't know if I believe that he's going to be a guy who can win a Stanley Cup in New York. I do think the Rangers general manager and everybody that's in the front office, Chris Drury and uh, those guys have done an excellent job stockpiling draft picks. The Rangers have multiple first-round picks, multiple second-round picks. They're in a position if they draft well. Last year they had two first-round picks. They can turn this around quickly. Uh, they've done a great job when they sold the trade deadline this year. They really stockpiled a lot of assets. And you look at you know what they picked up from Tampa Bay and the deal for Ryan McDonough and JT Miller. Uh, you look at what they pick up from Boston and the deal for Rick Nash. You look at all these different trades that they made, they've really gotten better and younger quickly. So it's just a matter of, and that's why they want David Quinn. How can these young guys, a lot of them who are coming from college, 
get to that next level, get to that NHL level and become an impact player on an NHL level. And once they get to that, once they get to that step, I think they are going to be a really good team probably in about one more year. They're going to have one more year where they're going to struggle next year. And the next year, I think you're going to see the Rangers two years from now be a team that's back into the playoff mix. Yeah. So you would estimate the Rangers will be back in the playoff mix in five years, you said? No, I think the Rangers will miss the playoffs in the 2018-19 season, next season. And then I think they will be a contender in 1920. I think they'll be one of the best teams in the Metropolitan Division in 2019-20 season, two years from now. I can totally see that happening. I mean, obviously, you said part of the thing about the Knicks, I mean, not Knicks, the Rangers have been really good at, at bringing prospects into New York. New York being the media capital of the world and just a great city overall, I think that's a great hockey city overall is what really it helped. If you disagree with me, I don't know if, I don't know if you disagree with me over there. Um, so, yeah, I can definitely see them being good in a couple of years or less. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of these guys that the Rangers have brought in, they know what it is playing in New York. Like Shattenkirk didn't have a great year this year. He was a little bit banged up. He played hurt for a lot of the season. But he's a guy that they brought in as a free agent who wanted to play in New York, who knew what that was like. Uh, you yeah. know, um, There's been plenty of prospects that the Rangers have had who are excited to be in New York and they're able to, to rise up to the expectation. Um, the, the thing is for the Rangers, they need to get their defense under control. Their defense has been a kind of a problem. Even when the Rangers even winning the Stanley cup uh, a few years ago, even when they lost to the LA Kings in 2014, their defense was still a, a problem. And Henrik Lundqvist was the answer to that problem. But now that Lundqvist is getting older I think he's still capable of being a, a number one goalie. He's probably not a top five goalie in the league anymore, but he's still a number one goalie. But now it's even more important to get that defense shored up around him, and that's what the Rangers are going to try to do. They've got a couple of young guys, Neil Pionk being one of them, who brought, who was, was able to jump into the lineup at the end of this yep. year. Uh, John Gilmore was a guy who played at Providence that he's getting closer to being able to play in the NHL on a full-time basis. They got – um, they've got some young, young players that they're going to try to develop into NHL defensemen. And I think this year, last year, they took two centers in the first round of the draft. This year, if I had to guess, they're probably going to take a more defensive-oriented player, and we'll see how quickly they can develop these prospects. Yeah, um, I can – yeah, I agree. It just – I do have one question for you. I think this would be – it's probably really dying. I just talked myself into. So, how long is Charlie McAvoy signed into until? Well, Charlie McAvoy's on a rookie deal. Um, so, basically, what that means is the Bruins, regardless of how long his contract is, they control his rights for the foreseeable future. He'll get arbitration. Um, the Bruins basically have him under control for, I think, at least you know five years or so before he's going to. He'll get new contracts to make more money on the financial side of things, but as far as being an unrestricted free agent, he's not anywhere close. Okay, because I'm looking at it right now. He was born in uh, Long Beach, New York. Yeah, that's, he's from Long Island originally, but he went to school. He went to school in Boston. Now he's at the Bruins. Uh, I don't think the Bruins are a. Like I said, he's a guy who he, he's under contract uh, through next year. And then he's up for arbitration. He'll, he'll, he'll get his money, and the Bruins will keep him, and he's not going anywhere. Yeah. Okay. So we, t- we touched on our teams now. We touched on the fact that Charlie McAvoy will not be an Islander in the foreseeable future. And now let's jump into the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, between, I think, two – we talked about this before – two great teams, two exciting teams. I mean, obviously, it was a nice team their first year – with the momentum after what happened in Saturday in October. Uh, and then the Capitals with Ovechkin finally getting to where we all thought he, he supposed to be a couple years ago. He's finally reached a backstrom. They got OG and they got Holtby. On the night side, you got James Neal, uh, 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 Marc-Andre Fleury, and the rest. So I think the Knights will take it in six. Uh, I think the way – I think I can see the – 
Capitals winning too, but I think the way Mark Andre Fleury is playing right now is just insane. Some of the saves he was making in that in the Jets series, I legit didn't didn't think the Jets had even a chance after the game after game three. It was pretty clear. Uh, Jared, was just touching your subject. Yeah, I think it's going to be an awesome final. Uh, I think that both teams are really exciting, as you said, and I think that the Knights have proved that, you know what, they've never been there before, but they have yeah. not had a problem rising up when the pressure's been on in the playoffs. They've been excellent. Uh, they've been really fun to watch. They're a team that, especially at home, they get on you early. They attack. They try to get turnovers, and they put the puck in the back of the net early on. They get teams in holes, yeah. and then they're, def- they're a good defense. They've got a good defense. They're a well-defensively oriented team. And they've got Marc-Andre Ferrari, who's been the best goalie in the playoffs. That said, if the Caps play – it was interesting. when in, la- in the last series, in the Eastern Conference Finals, the Capitals, in the four games that they won, they were unbelievable. And in the three games they lost, they were not very good at all. Yeah. And it, it, it's interesting to me because if the Caps can figure out how to consistently play – like they did in games one and two against Tampa down in, in Tampa Bay, or like they did in games six and seven with a very good defensive structure in front of Braden. him to have back-to-back shutouts. Look, you've still got Alex Ovechkin, who's the best player in the league. You've still got TJ Oshie, who's excellent. You've still got Nick Backstrom, who's one of the best player make, playmakers in the league. And you've, you've got a good defensive core that has some experience. Uh, you know, I'm hoping that Brooks Orpik is healthy and ready to go. I know he took a bad hit during game seven, had to leave the game. But if he's healthy and he's able to play some big minutes, Matt Niskanen and Dmitry Orlov have been playing big minutes. The Caps could do this. It's, yeah, just, it's just how are they going to play? And I agree with you, Max. I think the, the Knights have to be the favorite because of how well they've played in the playoffs, they're 12-3. and three. I mean, this is crazy. They're an expansion team that is mowing through the playoffs without too much of a problem. But the Capitals can make it tough on Marc-Andre Fleury. And if the Capitals can play as aggressive that they did in uh, Game 6 like they did against Lightning, yeah. I, they but, how, uh, but And the thing is, the Capitals, they can play like that for one game and win the game, but this is all about the series. And so, exactly. to me, the Capitals – they need to show that they're going to play like that for a seven-game series and not just when they need the oh, game. Yeah. And it's worked out for them. And Brayden Holpe, you know, he didn't even start off as the starting goalie when the playoffs started. It was Philip Grubauer in game one against Columbus when the Capitals started the playoffs. And obviously, you know, Holpe's pretty established at this point. It's, he's not leaving the net unless it's a blowout game and um, they want to rest him for the next game. But it's, it's his team right now. Holpe's taking the reins. And you know what? I think that's a big piece of what happened in game six and seven. Don't get me wrong. The Capitals were great. They were excellent. But Braden Holpe was better than Andre Vasilevsky. And so if Braden Holpe is better than Marc-Andre Fleury, there's a really good chance the Caps are going to win the series. If Marc-Andre Fleury is the better goaltender, I think it. So I don't know if I got a prediction, really. It's hard for me to make sure make a prediction – these two teams only saw each other twice during the regular season. They don't really know each other too well. You obviously have uh, Nate Schmidt, who's the Vegas defenseman who played for the Capitals last year. The Capitals were thinking he was going to be a big part of their plan this year, and they were expecting him to be one of their best defensemen, but they couldn't protect everybody, as everybody knows, and that's the, the choice that Vegas made with George McPhee drafting Schmidt in the expansion draft. I think uh, people around the Capitals were expecting Vegas to maybe take Philip Grubauer, but they ended up taking Schmidt and it ended up being the right decision. Grubauer had an excellent season this year, but, yeah. but with Flurry playing well, Grubauer is in the last year of his contract. He's a guy that's going to be a free agent at the end of this year. And the Capitals, while they'd love to keep him, uh, he might demand some good money. And so maybe Vegas was thinking, hey, you know, his deal's up at the end of this year. We want to go with Schmidt because we can keep him for longer. And that's why they picked Schmidt. He's been a big part of their defense. So that's going to be one of the storylines is, you know, one of the guys the Capitals lost that's going up against them now in the finals. Wait, so Grubauer's going to be a free agent. No. And now I have to go, a little, I have to go back a little bit. Uh, we mentioned before the Islanders have never had a good goalie really in my lifetime, to be honest. I mean, so yeah. 
do the Islanders make a move and try to get him? Is that, can, you, can you see that happening or no? Or are they going to be focusing all on Tavares, which I wouldn't disagree on? Well, I mean, Tavares is probably wanting them to focus on who they're going to have as a goaltender. Because if he's going to come and stay there long term, he wants to know that they're figured that they've got the, everything else figured out as well. Uh, you know, you can. Yeah. He's kind of like a LeBron James situation a little bit in that you know if he's a free agent and he can be in Long in Long Island, he can play for the Islanders forever. Uh, but you know, obviously LeBron's one. LeBron's always about looking about who else, who where's everybody else? What, what are they? What are you doing for me with the rest of the roster? And so exactly. for Tavares, I, I think that you know he's gonna he's gonna look around a little bit. I think he wants to stay in New York, but. Uh, you know, it, it's a, it's a situation where, you know, I don't know if Philip Grubauer is the, is the right move for the Islanders because it just depends at what price, because here's the thing for the Islanders. Would Grubauer be a good goaltender for them? Could he be a starting goaltender in the league? Maybe he's kind of unproven. He had a really good season this year, but Braden Holpe's in Washington too. So they were splitting time. It's not like Grubauer was the go getter carrying the load the whole season. He's a guy who, you know, played a good amount of time, but he's never been the guy anywhere. And how is he going to react to that in Long Island? You don't know. And do you, as a free agent, he's going to have other options. You're going to have to pay him. So do you want to get stuck with kind of a big contract for a goaltender that's never been a starter before? I don't know if that's the route that the Islanders want to go. If they get him at a decent cost, he could be, it's a risk, you know, it could be a good situation for them, but by no means would it be a home run just because he's never really had the experience of being the guy. I wish him well. He's a former South Carolina Stingray, and uh, he's a guy who's done well when he's been given the opportunity for Washington. He just hasn't been given that many opportunities. And you know what? The Capitals are not out of this thing either. I think they do want to try to re-sign him. It's just if he gets more money from, from another team and the Capitals can't match that, then, then he's going to be playing somewhere else next year. What team do you see making a making a pitch to Grubauer? Like, uh, obviously, probably a lot of things. But like, what big what team would you do you think would probably be focusing on going for him? It's a good question. Uh, I guess I'd have to kind of look a little bit more than into some of the depth charts for some of these other teams. Uh, that that need uh, maybe like a one B backup. If you look at Grubauer, maybe he's been not the 1A, hope he's been 1A, he's kind of been 1B. Um, you know, maybe a team like Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, maybe a team potentially like Florida. I know Roberto Luongo is getting a bit older. They might be looking to, you know, try to go younger in net. Uh, obviously, Carolina Hurricanes, they have some goaltending prospects, but Cam Ward is also at the end of his kind of run. He's getting older up there in Carolina. Um, but it, it's, yeah, obviously I think the Islanders would be smart to put themselves in the mix. You could, you could look at maybe the Philadelphia Flyers. They've, yeah. they've had some goaltending, you know, holes that they can fill. Um, but you never know. It, it could be a team like the St. Louis Blues who they've got Jake Allen, but they, you know what, let's, let's see what, let's see what we can do. Maybe Jake Allen becomes the one A and Grubauer is the one B. Maybe it's a team that, that has a, a good goalie but not an elite goalie. You know, I don't think we're going to see the LA Kings go after Philip Grubauer. They got Jonathan Quick. They're set. They're fine. <laughs> they don't need anybody else. But I think, I think you might see a team that has, has a decent top goaltender look to see if Grubauer can push and maybe, maybe try to overtake and become a star in the league. Yeah. I kind of, looking at right now what you said about the whole Cam work and the order situation, I think the Panthers would probably stick with some- Longo for a couple more years, but Cam Ward's definitely a guy who I can see the, the Hurricanes looking to replace with. That's a pretty fair perspective over there. Yeah, but the, you know, and that's where you know you have to look at how they value some of their prospects because when you look at the uh, Carolina Hurricanes, the Charlotte Checkers are their AHL affiliate, uh, and they had a really nice season this year. They they were one of the best offensive teams in the AHL. Um, they've got some attending depth. They've got uh, a high pick by the name of Alex Nedeljkovic, who played his second professional season and had an excellent year of this year. He was the guy. He was a guy who played in the playoffs for Charlotte, but he's a guy who who I think they're looking at maybe as a potential replacement. Now, I think he's still probably another one to two years away, but he was a second-round pick. 
And this past year for Charlotte, uh, he played in about 50, 50 games in the regular season, 2.5 goals against average, uh, had a record of 31-12-2. And, and then in the playoffs, he was even better. In eight playoff games, 2.11 goals against average, 92% save percentage, uh, went 4-4, four and four, had, a, had a good run to the – to the second round of the playoffs in the American Hockey League. Uh, unfortunately, lost out to the Lehigh Valley Phantoms, which is the team for the Florida for the uh, Philadelphia Flyers. And there was a crazy, like, five-overtime game in that uh, – four-overtime game, whatever, in that series. So, Nadelkovic was, was excellent in the playoffs. Uh, I think he's a guy that the Hurricanes are definitely looking at to potentially be an answer. But Grubauer is a little bit more proven – and maybe they want to, you know, use Grubauer to bridge the gap uh, between Nedeljkovic and Cam Ward. Yeah. Uh, just to go back to it, what is your prediction for the Capitals Night Series? My prediction is Washington in seven. Okay. I like that. I don't disagree with that at all. Now, the next topic was going to be why I think the Kings will should release Jonathan Quick, but – I just looked at his contract, and in 2012, they signed him, signed him to a 10-year, $56 million contract, and I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. So let's get right up to the next, next uh, topic, which is MLB. I might, add, I might just want to add that I told you that he, was, he signed through 2023, <laughs> and he's the franchise player. He's won two Stanley Cups, and they're not releasing him, so now we can move on. Yeah. Um, Let's go, let's go to the MLB. Now, I want to give major props to you. I texted you this morning. So, earlier in, I think it was the offseason, the, the Mets could have put together a deal to get Andrew McCutcheon. And the reason why the Mets didn't put together the deal is they did not want to give get, uh, give Brandon Nimmo. Now, earlier in, in August of 2017, you had said how you liked Brandon Nimmo a lot. You think he's potential to be really pretty good. And this morning, I decided to look at the stats. Nimbo this year, on half the, on half the at-bats and playing time McCutcheon has, it's hitting with a 294 average, three home runs, six RBIs, and an OPS of 981. Compared to McCutcheon, who's hitting 237, three dingers, 19 RBIs, obviously playing more than half, half of what Nimbo's played, and has an OPS of 717. So I want to give props to you for that. That's an extraordinary thing you said and I disagree with it I gave you a lot of I gave you a lot of stuff for it and I said oh, you're wrong but if just keeps and Nimble's also just is in his mid-20s and McCutcheon is, is going, getting to be in the mid-30s so props to you thank you I think that's the biggest thing Max is the age you know there's, yeah. there's obviously if, if the Mets are seeing more than any other team right now the Mets have some really young players like Brandon Nimmo, like Ahmed Rosario, you know, that Dom Smith maybe is a guy who you can say, you know, Michael Conforto is still very young. These young, young, young guys who are trying to figure out how they can play on an everyday role. And the Mets are pushing them. I, I think, you know, they've probably, with Rosario more than anybody else, are allowing him to work out the lumps. Everyone else is kind of getting shifted around the lineup based on who they're facing. There's a lot of matchups going in there. But the Mets have these young players. And then on the other end, they have all the old guys, the Adrian Gonzalez, Jose Reyes, Jose Bautista. Jose Reyes got to go. Well, we can talk about that in a second. But the Mets have these other players on their team. Maybe, you know, even look at Jay Bruce being an older guy. as Drupal Cabrera's. Uh, having a, his probably his best season ever, but he's still a guy who's more than halfway done with his career. Uh, and the Mets have this this gap because they have either very young players or guys who, like last year, Curtis Granderson, you know, are, are a little bit older and uh, in their second half of their career, so to speak. So it's interesting to me the dynamic for the Mets, but I think it's really cool because I think. You know, when you have some of those older guys, they're able to help the younger ones through some of the slumps. You've seen Conforto go through some pretty bad slumps in his career. Last year, he started off pretty weak. All of a sudden, he was an all-star, and he deserved that. This year, he's been horrible at swinging at horrible pitches. His, his plate discipline has not been very good. 
but he's starting to come out of that. Ahmed Rosario, horrible start to the season. But now I was looking last night, he's around 260. He's, he's been getting yeah. on base. He's been doing a little bit more. He's just trying to play. And, and you know, Mickey Calloway is playing him every single day. But for the Mets to make a deal where they'd give up Brandon Nimmo, one of those bright, young, future kind of players, even though their outfield was crowded and you look, oh, yeah, they got Cespedes, oh, they got Conforto, oh, they got Jay Bruce. And so there's not, and, and even you can make make an argument at that time they had Juan Lagares. So you're yeah. like, where is this guy Nimmo going to play? And my answer was, he's going to outplay some of these players. He's going to earn his playing time. And oh yeah. You know what? Here's the thing. What was McCutcheon going to do if the Mets made that trade? Where was he going to fit in the outfield? And exactly. and and I feel that at this stage of his career, he's more of a complementary piece. If the Mets were a team that was contending for the World Series, and you want to add somebody like that, maybe you can give up a younger player. But the Mets, after last year, they're kind of rebuilding on the fly a little bit. They, yeah. they have some good pieces. They have some good young players. But they can't be giving away a first-round pick like Brandon Nimmo, who they've banked a lot on, for Andrew McCutcheon, who, like I said last year, showed some real – signs that he was he was going downhill so i i'm glad yeah. the mets didn't pull the trigger on that one uh i do think that people people give sandy alderson a lot of heat i think he's excellent i love I sandy too. alderson okay. I, think I, I think he gets a lot of undue criticism the, the injuries have really been the problem but if the mets had been able to stay healthy over the past couple of years they would be up there with any other team and a lot of these moves that he makes and i and i also you know I know last year wasn't good, but I also think even when you look back at their career of Terry Collins as the Mets manager, he was someone who got a lot out of guys who, you know, who you didn't know what you were going to get. Like Sandy Alderson makes a decision, let's bring in a guy like James Loney. And everybody's like, oh, James Loney, you guys sucks. And then he ends up not being an all-star, but actually giving you a lot more than what yeah. you would expect. I think the Mets and Sandy Alderson have done that time and time again where, yeah, hey, we can talk about Reyes right now. Look, he's the worst player on the team right now. There's no arguing that. But when they brought him back for nothing a few years ago, they gave them a lot, and they didn't have yeah. to do anything. And, and now Adrian Gonzalez, is he hitting the cover off the ball? No, but he's a smart hitter, and he's an excellent fielder at first base. And the Braves are paying his entire contract. So it's like, I think Sandy Alderson and, and his staff has gotten so much out of some guys who you can really put a big question mark on what they're going to be able to do. They've turned some of these guys into excellent players. And another example is the bullpen right now with Seth Lugo and Robert Kazelman. You didn't have room for in the rotation. Now yep. they're one of the best relievers in the MLB the Mets have had problems with injuries. Todd Frazier goes down. Yoannis Cespedes goes down. They've had issues. But the, in my opinion, Alderson is not afraid to make moves. If the team needs somebody, he's able to provide a solution. And I think he's also done a great job with drafting and developing prospects. Uh, and, and you look at a lot of this team are homegrown players who have been drafted. And then you look at a guy like I mentioned, Cabrera. He's been the best hitter on the Mets this year. He's late in his career. The Mets didn't even know if he wanted to be on the team. Last year, he asked for a trade. Yeah. And now, all of a sudden, he's their best hitter. And even last night, he had another clutch RBI hit. I, I think he's been an unbelievable story that hasn't even really been talked about much throughout baseball. But another example of a guy who you didn't know what you are going to get. And he's, he could be an all-star this year for the Mets. Oh, yeah. And one thing I actually want to touch on about the whole Nemo McCutcheon thing. Right now, Nimmo's getting paid five, just a little bit over five. He's being paid five to seven thousand dollars, and per per year, which is great. He's just turned twenty five on March twenty seventh. Then now the contract for if you, if they had traded for McCutcheon, and they would just got McCutcheon for one year. Take guess how much they would be paying McCutcheon right now. Over ten mil. Fourteen point seventy five million yeah. for one year. I think the Pirates are going to have to eat some of that salary for that trade to have gone through. Yeah, I think they lost it too. I think, I think they're willing, willing to also. Yeah. Um, now, I think Max, honestly, is getting a lot of heat. I think he's been tossing to the whole conversation of, I think with the Mets, when Wheeler was being, I actually don't hate Wheeler either, but Wheeler, Harvey, and Max haven't been, 
I'm not, not Harvey anymore, but Wheeler and Matt haven't been doing what they've been expected to do. And I don't think Matt's been that bad, to be honest. I mean, Matt's Matt's been- has problems getting deep into games. Uh, yeah. He he has some some outings where he's good for three innings, but then in the fourth inning, he he struggles and they have to get rid of him. I I, I think for Wheeler, his last outing, I was really impressed. He was throwing the ball ninety seven miles an hour, and yeah. he was he sometimes has control issues. He was pretty good. The Mets had two errors from Jose Reyes that were inexcusable. And that was a big re- – now, again, they didn't score enough runs to win the game. But Wheeler, yeah. other than the one inning where that error from Reyes kind of hurt the Mets, he was excellent in that start. So I'm encouraged by that. I think the reality is with Mats and Wheeler, they're still pretty young. In their careers, both of them, they've never pitched a full season without getting hurt. They've, yeah. they've never been able to consistently put starts together. And I think they're, trying, they're starting to understand this year – what it takes to be successful on a night in and night out basis. I think in their early part of their careers, they were just injured too often. They were just worried about staying healthy. Yeah. Uh, and so now I think that they're, you know, that they have some good health. The Mets are giving to work out their problems and they're both, they're both doing okay. I, I think you have to manage them on a start to start basis, but I, I've been a little bit more encouraged by what I've seen out of them lately. And, Back, now, I want to discuss a little bit about Jose Reyes right now. So look, Jose Reyes, I've always liked. He started playing for the Mets when I was 5 and 230. And obviously, up until recently, he was a great player for the Mets. And I know last season, in the second half, he batted pretty, pretty solid. But this is just brutal right now. I mean, I feel like almost every time he comes to the plate, he's just an automatic out. Like, I feel better putting Syndergaard in front of in place of in place of race right now. I think they have to release him within. Look, I know Haley Ramirez is become a free agent today, which is something I want to touch upon a little bit later. But do you think the Mets can uh, maybe make a push for Haley Ramirez, who early in his career just played shortstop? I might, I might add. Okay, first of all, Hanley Ramirez is unable to play shortstop. He is too slow, and that's not happening with a med Rosario there. So let's just squash right, I'm in third base. I'm in third base. And also, the Mets have come out today and said they're not interested in signing him, which I think is a good move. He's been playing a lot of DH in first base, which the Mets do not need a DH. Obviously, they're in the National League. And first base uh, between a- Adrian Gonzalez, Wilmer Flores, Dom Smith, and Jay Bruce, who's been playing a little bit of first base as well. They do not need another first baseman. So I don't think the Hanley thing is going to happen. Um, I think that Jose, I think he's not been good. There's no way around it. Uh, he has to be better. Um, I'm not ready to release him yet, mostly because there's no one else better. Uh, the Mets don't have a lot of speed, so even if you're using him as a pinch runner in late-game situations, I'd be okay with that. I don't think he's a good pinch hitter. He's never really been a good pinch hitter. Um, he's a guy that needs to play, and when you have him in a role as a bench player who's just coming up to be a pinch hitter, he's probably not going to be very effective. But he has some versatility in the infield. He can play a couple different positions. Uh, and I know I, I touched on the errors. They're, they're unacceptable. He's got to be better. But there's no one from the Mets minor leagues that's banging down the door to where the Mets have to say, you know what, we got to give this young guy a shot. Jose, if he doesn't start playing better, then the Mets maybe look at making a move and, and maybe getting rid of him, and maybe that's it for him. But unless they have a better option, I don't really know what else you can do at this point. You know, uh, name, name a better – other than making a trade and bringing someone from another organization, what's your other option at this point? Who would you rather see on the Major League roster? Um, I'm looking at the Mets Triple H right now, actually. I can't disagree with you over there, but – I'm not saying that Jose is great. I'm not yeah. saying that they need – I'm not saying that they need to give him another – uh, that many more chances. Maybe they only give him, you know, a little bit more time to try to straighten it out. But my thing is, he's a former All Star. 
Uh, he's a guy who knows what it takes to be successful at the major league level. The Mets don't have anybody else that can do that. So unless you make a trade and bring over somebody else, which I'm all for, uh, and then you have to see what you'd have to give up to get a player like that, a player that. But basically, you're looking at you need to replace a bench player, and the Mets don't have any any guys in the minors that are ready to come up to be a bench player. So I think you just got to kind of rat it out and hope that he's being a good clubhouse guy and he's doing a good job with those young players, making sure they're they're doing what they need to do. And late in games, if he's available, use him as a pinch runner. Maybe he can swipe a base. Maybe, you know, he scores on a hit from first base or he scores on a hit from second that a guy like Wilmer Flores or as Drupal Cabrera or, you know, some of their slower guys, Jay Bruce, you know, some of these Adrian Gonzalez. The Mets don't have a lot of team speed. So if you get a guy that, you know, that gets on base late in innings, Reyes could be a pinch runner. He's not lightning fast like he used to be, but – He's still, you know, a decent pinch runner if you need somebody like that late in games. Yeah, I guess I agree with you on that. But that's um, what his role is. I, I think that's what's different. You know, people are thinking about Jose Reyes as being the Jose Reyes in the past. I think the Jose Reyes in the past is gone. I think it's yeah, he's re- being reduced to being a bench player. and He's never had to do that in his career. It's probably taking him a little bit to adapt to that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, look at it now. The Mets do have actually, I looked at them right now. Mets do have Cody Ash, who wasn't a terrible hitter in the MLB for the Phillies. He, play, he re- last played in 2016. His average is much better than, his average is around 260 ish, which isn't terrible, but it's a much bigger improvement than uh, Reyes. Yeah, I mean, you could give it a shot, but. I'm not, I'm not really ready to campaign for that. What's his What's his numbers in AAA this year? Numbers in AAA this year. Oh, oh never mind. Team eighty two eleven. Six hundred sixteen hundred. And that's what I'm saying. You know, the Mets don't have anybody that's really banging down the door that's saying we need to be here in the majors right now. Yeah, uh, I guess. You have to ride it down and see what happens. So the Mets can either develop a good third, ba- third baseman or sign somebody. Um, now, MLB wise, I think it's either going to be in the AL, the Red Sox, Astros, or Yankees. I don't, I don't know if you disagree with me over there, but NL wise, I have honestly no idea who it's going to be right now. I think it's a little early. Uh, I think obviously the Braves and Phillies have been better than people think, but I don't th- yeah. know if I don't know if people think they're legitimate World Series contenders. Uh, the Brewers are in first place in the Central, but the Mets look like they handled them no problem last night. The Mets have been far from good, so uh, I think the Diamondbacks were great in the beginning of the year. They've been horrible lately, so uh, it's still a little early for me. May is not even over yet. Ask me in August. Yeah. Okay, so the next subject is um, next topic is I should really work this down. A little NBA playoffs. Um, have you been watching it all this whole season, like the past basketball nights at all, like at a bar or anything? Uh, no, I did say though yesterday, or actually this morning when I came into work, I asked my coworkers, "What is the series scores?" Am I correct in saying that Houston's up 3-2 and Boston's up 3-2? And they said yes. And I said, okay, now I can start watching. Because really, before this, nothing really mattered. Uh, yeah. I, don't think, I don't think any of the teams that have been eliminated have been that interesting. And I don't think that really any of the games have really mattered up until this point. Now you're at a situation where, you're look, where LeBron James and Steph Curry and Kevin Durant are up against it. Now you're going to see some drama. Now the games matter. Now everything is is exactly where you want it to be. Here's the thing. This is classic NBA. you got a situation where Golden State is on the verge of elimination, and you're going to tell me Chris Paul is not going to play in game six? That is a joke. You know what I'm saying? That's a joke. Yeah. Devontae Smith-Pelly got hit in the neck with a shot in game seven, and he came back and played a couple more shifts. I mean – Right now, the NBA, this is, why I'm dis, this is why I'm disenfranchised from the sport. These guys are jokes. Like, 
you have a chance to put away Golden State and you can't even dress? Even pull a Willis Reed and suit up and play 10 minutes? Yeah. I mean, come on. Like, that is – you're the leader of that team. I know Harden is very important as well. But Harden is Harden is – I mean, last night it was Chris Ball carrying that team. James Harden – they asked James Harden today how Ellie thought about not – he's predominantly a player who drives, drives up the hoop and gets free throws, which he's done, and shoots a three ball. They asked him about uh, how, how he happened to shoot the three ball very well this whole series. And his response was, who cares? Are you kidding me? That's like you, especially without Chris Paul gone. I don't think they stand a chance of being six in Golden State without Chris Paul. Game seven, Chris Paul needs to be suited up for that game. I no, don't care here's the thing: game six, Chris Paul needs to be suited up for that team. Yeah, uh, you know what I'm saying. I don't know what his injury is, obviously, but it just seems, you know, it just seems like game six should be the biggest game of his career. Like, how are you the, not playing in the past two games? Also, Golden State's had very good chance to w- chances to win. Last night, they had 18 turnovers. In the past two games, they shot terribly. Now, on to the Boston Cavs series. We talked, we talked about this yesterday. This is the worst team LeBron has been on since the early 2000s. I mean, this team is abysmal. I think Boston will lose tonight. I think they will take Game 7, though. Their defense... With Marcus Morris, uh, Marcus Smart is you can see it getting on on LeBron. I mean, and as the Cavs, like we said before, especially if the Cavs team does not show up, LeBron is screwed. And LeBron has given up before when his team does not show up. So usually tonight, if Boston plays very well in the first half, and and J.R. Smith and, and I guess Kevin Love will show up, but J.R. Smith and Kyle Korver. Tristan, Tristan Thompson, do not show up. I think LeBron probably give up and just Boston take it to six. Um, Who do you think of the four teams has the best chance of winning the NBA Finals Golden right State. now? Golden State still. I still take Golden State. Especially if, now if Chris Paul is playing tonight, I'd actually say, say, say Houston. But I feel I'm very, very confident Golden State will win game six and then take game seven too. Especially if Andre Iguodala comes back. I've seen some people that say the Celtics could be the best team left after the game too. last night. Um, I don't know how anybody can say that the, that the Cavs aren't the worst team in, in here right now, even though they have the best player in the whole league. Uh, Tyron Lue is not really a coach. It's more just – it says he's a coach, but LeBron's a coach on that team. Um, yeah. I think it will be Golden State-Boston. And I think Golden State will win six games. Well, like I said, I haven't watched any games, but I will start watching. This is when I turn it on because before that really isn't really worth for me to watch, but now I'll start watching. Now the games matter. What's crazy with the Celtics too right now is the Celtics are doing this with a bunch of really young players like Obviously younger than you, Jared, because you're 29. But, <laughs> like, these players, some of these players are just my age. Jaylen, Jason Tatum is 20 years old. Uh, Jalen Brown, I think, is 22 or 23. All these guys are very young. And they're doing this without their two best players in Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward. So they're only going to be getting better. I mean, a lot Yeah, of actually, fans. I saw a lot of people saying that the Celtics might have to make some trades because – some of these players have played themselves so well in the playoffs yeah. that once next year when Hayward and Ir, uh, and Kyrie come back, that they, will, they won't be satisfied with being a bench player or being a guy who's, you know, a, a complimentary player to some of those stars. So the Celtics might have to trade some of those guys and get some good assets for them while they can. Absolutely. I mean, people said after Boston lost Kyrie Irving that this – team was done. They were losing their first round to Milwaukee and Giannis and the Kimto. That didn't happen. Then everybody is touting Philadelphia as the NBA representatives for the Eastern Conference. For the Eastern Conference. Nobody was ever doing that. People were. Let's be honest. Yes, they were. Nobody they was. Saying, yes, they were, Jared. Not but, me. What? Not, I was never, like, to me, they were never going to be able to get past the Cavs. 
I, I know the Cavs don't have the best team. Yeah, I, I, I just I, there's no is going to be was going to be the Cavs. If if the Cavs and it was if Boston lost to Philly, which obviously they did not because Philly's not very good. Yeah, I, I don't think they're Philly is a joke to me still. They're 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 better. But they're not even in – to me, they're not even in the top seven or eight teams in the league right now. Philly was so overhyped this season. Yeah. Don't be wrong. They're, they're getting better. They're young. But they are, Jared. Not to be but they were very overhyped this season. Joel Embiid's very good, I think, and he's only getting better. Ben Simmons is very good. People are telling Ben Simmons, and this he's amazing. This dude bar- can barely shoot a jump shot. He doesn't hit any three-pointers, which is exactly what you need in this league right now. Markel Fultz, the guy, the – so earlier this off in this offseason in, in the trade that in the drafting, uh, Boston traded their number one pick for Philly's number four pick, and Philly selected Markel Fultz and Boston selected um, Jason Tatum, and it's just insane how it's worked out for Boston. And right now Philly has to worry about if I mean Markel Fultz, they were trying to practice that to them in March, but he's been just horrendous. So I completely so I think we're on the same opinion that Boston I mean that Philly needs to be better and will get better. But and I definitely agree with you that uh Boston if Boston, if Cleveland and Philly met, Cleveland would have easily won to be honest. Yeah. I think they would have taken it in five or six games actually. Yeah. Um so what's your predictions for the finals? I don't know. We gotta we gotta see what, what happens tonight and tomorrow. I mean, I, I, I would be stunned if Golden State won without Chris Paul in Golden State. I mean, if Houston won in Golden State without Chris Paul. Until the Cavs and Warriors lose, I'm still saying it's going to be Cavs and Warriors. That's very fair. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that too. Um, okay, so... Um, I don't know if we're discuss this next next subject, next topic. We might as well actually the best Disney Channel original movie. <laughs> what is your here, Jared? Come on, take a guess. Friends is not a Disney Channel <laughs> original movie. No, anything to cook off. No way. It's not even in the top five. It's the best in the Friends part, and I think that if you disagree that Friends is the greatest show of all time, that you're automatically wrong. I mean, I'm telling you, there's at least at least five, maybe even more movies that Disney's done that have been better than Eddie's Million Dollar Cookoff. First of all, the 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 answer to this question is Brink. No, Brink is the Not best Brink. Disney Channel original Not movie. Brink. Easily is Brink. Uh, I would also have to say other movies that are better than whatever you just not not mentioned because that's like not even in the top five. It are Johnny Tsunami, Smart House, Smart House is good. Uh, even Steven's Luck of movie? the Irish. No, even Stevie's movies. Luck of the Irish is very good. Luck of the Irish. I need one more to be better than Eddie's Million Dollar Cook Off. Uh, what's the movie that's like the black basketball coach and he coaches like the Jewish boys team? I don't know if I ever saw that one. I would say Xenon is also better than Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off. So those are my five that I think are better than Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off, with Brink easily being the number one movie. Okay, so I can see The Luck of the Irish being, being, number, being better than Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off. I can see um, uh, what, uh, Tomorrow Else being better. But... And also, even Steven's movie is phenomenal. But I totally disagree with you that Brink's better than Eddie's million, Eddie's million Dollar Cookoff. What do you have against Brink? It's so overrated, Jared. Come on. Why is it overrated? Why? It's, it loses me through the second second. Are you part. kidding me? It's one of the best movies that Disney's ever done on, on their channel. Ah. Uh. No, I think you're wrong, Jared. Uh, you're not going to convince me off of this one. I am solidly saying that Brink is my favorite, and it's not even not even that close. Um, 
Let me put the movie I've seen before right now. Love the art. Oh, Full Court Miracle. Oh, I do remember seeing that, I think. But I was kind of, I don't remember if I, like, really watched that that well. I I can't really comment on that one. Uh, are we going to be a podcast that watches the Disney Channel original movie every, every week now? No. Don't make me do that. <laughs> what I remember is what I remember, and that is it. I think Xenon's all awful, to be honest, dude. I was kind of just looking for a fifth one in there just to say it was better than Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off. What about, um... Okay, Halloween Town is good. Eh, average. Um, what about Quince? I didn't mind. That's, that's <laughs> I think maybe 80s Million Dollar Cook-Off is better than Quince, but a Quince is in there. Okay, uh, I'm really going to the whole trash talk in 80s Million Dollar Cook-Off. Johnny Tsunami? Yeah, Johnny Tsunami is definitely better. Motocross. That's, that, that might be the movie I'm thinking of right now that, that competes with Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off. <laughs> that, that, you even saying that is showcasing how bad Eddie's, Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off is. It's the hot band. It's phenomenal. What about All right. um, enough with the Disney Channel movies? Okay, I'm right. You're wrong. Now, Episode well, one has come to an close. Wait, Final thoughts. I want you one more thing. I wanted to give one hot take at the end of each episode. Fine. Can I go first? Yes. <laughs> I said it before. I'll say it again. Brock Osweiler is an elite quarterback. And he's on my favorite team, too, which is really cool. Now, Max, you said one hot take per podcast. You cannot repeat the take. You can't just say every week that you think Brock Osweiler is good. Even when the season starts and he won't even be playing, so we won't even have stats to look at how bad he is. We could we could watch the Dolphins training camp and collect our own stats <laughs> and showcase how bad he is. But now that you've... You've made that point. You now can't use that again for the rest of this podcast. You've already had your take, and that's oh, it. No. Well, there's going to be a lot of takeaways during this podcast. You, But your hot take at the end of the podcast from now on cannot be about Brock Osweiler because, A, that's a bad opinion, and, B, <laughs> you're not going to have any stats to back it up because he's never going to see the field. Really, Jared? How many footballs does your team have? One. Guess how many Brock Osweiler has? One. Guess yeah. how many minutes he played in that Super Bowl? Zero. Exactly. End of point. End of story. But me and Andy firmly believe that Peyton Man that he let Peyton Man play. No, I don't. I think our next guest on the podcast is Andy Schaffrin. <laughs> For week two, coming next week, Andy Schaffrin is our next guest. And Jared. I completely agree. I think Michael Schaffer will be a podcast guest at some point. I don't know what we discussed for Ethan, maybe. I mean... Don't, get, don't give anything away. Are we allowed to say people's names on, on this podcast? Yes. Okay, I know we can't curse, though. I'm just kind of like... I don't know which line we're crossing over here. Okay, so I put people's names out. Yeah. Possibly your dad and my dad? Yep. And, yeah... Maybe Paul Bizonette, too. We need to get a couple more episodes before Paul's going to look into joining us. I disagree. I think he'll like our leadership. All right. Well, post week one, and we'll see how it goes. Yes, sir. Have a great day. Have a great week. And thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> yeah.